when, when there's a separation, you can project qualities that you unconsciously don't even know yet. Yeah. You want to believe certain people have, and it would be amazing if they actually had it. Yeah. Like, like, like with, uh, with dating with men and women, like you, wh what you're really noticing is she doesn't happen to be facing your direction. So you're loading her up with reasons why she's not facing you. She's probably not facing you because she's literally looking at the menu of a thing as opposed to like, oh, I have this secret thing that you don't have. And if you could attain my attention and my physical permission, right. then you would have it again. Hello, everybody. My name is Brazil and welcome to my podcast. I'm really excited for today's episode because I interviewed my boy, Rob Hoffman. He is a dancer, choreographer, and actor. He was the star of the Step Up to the Streets movie. He was in She's the Man, You Got Served, all kinds of other productions. And he's a really great guy. He's very insightful. He's somebody that I have a lot of uh, deep talks with about life in general, love, what it all means, this whole progress of, of making it in Hollywood and then trying to find true happiness through this journey. Uh, it's, it's a great podcast. I, I just listened to it again before I made this intro, and I was like, wow, there, there are some gems in here. So I hope that you guys watch it all the way through and uh, and see just the beautiful person that he is. So with no further ado, I always I always want to say it, I always fuck that up. No further ado. With no further ado. <laughs> it always feels like I'm saying further ado. Further ado. So with no further ado, here is my podcast with Rob Hoffman. Enjoy. What's up, Rob? How you feeling today, bro? I feel half conscious because of the pills I had to take yesterday for my double point pulled groin muscle. What happened, bro? I uh, I wonder if anyone else out there saw the meme that was going around saying that you should run on your toes as opposed to your heels. And I never even really jog or do treadmill that much, but I was doing treadmill and I was like, oh, I'd really go into my heels. I'm gonna try the toes. So I did it for the whole workout. And then 24 hours later, out of nowhere, both groin muscles hurt like hell. Just Walking is okay, but turning to walk the side to the side—that's a—that's a bitch. Think it was because of the way you were running, like running on your toes caused the groin. There's nothing else Did I can mean? imagine that would have done it. Yeah, that's so weird. Except for my first crump session, two days before that, but that—that's just way too long. <laughs> so, for the people watching, tell us what is it that you do. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I manifest myself into infinite particles of seemingly separated consciousness under the magical guise of Maya and experience multiple journeys infinitely. Me as God or me as Robert Hoffman? You as Robert Hoffman. <laughs> uh, me as Robert Hoffman, what do I do? Uh, I mean, I create. Um, currently, that manifest the most frequently is um, traveling spontaneously in the wind to wherever the world or universe or impulse takes me and uh, teaching class and meeting cool artists and having them help me explore their city the next day. Um, do a lot of freestyle dance because I never used to do it and it's a really um, kind of spiritually intelligent, expansive activity. Um, I do magic. I love magic. I draw comics. Um, I create comedy content. Not as much lately, but I got a great idea coming up I'm going to do. I'm really excited about it. Uh, I make music. That's it. That's what I do. Man, so you're basically bored all the time, huh? Mm -hmm. Have nothing going on. Yeah. No activities. <laughs> so why do you prefer living and uh, traveling more to Europe than in America? Why, why has Europe inspired you more than this place? Uh, we're going to do that one. 
Okay. Uh, I've been... Okay. I found out that I'm a trauma person. I found out that my body was on 24-7 shock and alarm and fight or flight. I read a book called uh, The Body Keeps the Score. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay, now I get it. Now I get why things haven't always synchronized between me and the common person. Uh, but in my last two decades of like rigorous exploration into what is consciousness, what is, what would God be, what is, who am I, what is happiness, what is consciousness, etc. I get really hard on myself and, uh, and then started to notice like, oh wait, I think the fabric of this society is not quite as elite as I thought it was. It's not as transparent or honest or impeccable as I thought it was. And I was like, well, before I just start to get... The a, society meaning LA, Hollywood, uh, America? Largely the Western, but very heightened in, in America itself. Okay. So I thought, well, before I get too high horse and thinking I know something and no one else does and, you know, float off into that bad paradigm, I was like, let me get out of here and travel. So I, like, utilized my... the. the the dance films I had done and the notoriety from that to be able to just set up tours anywhere. And I was like, well, let me go to the places that I hear are good. What's up with Scandinavia? Why does people say that's the happiest people? Why is everyone that I meet who's from Israel, do I find them to be really lovely? What is up with Switzerland? So I started making these really expansive teaching tours. And as soon as I got off the plane in Copenhagen, I was like immediately, and I'm a very, very, very sensitive person who really reads and um, understands a lot about human dynamics. And as soon as I got off the flight in Copenhagen, I was like, what? what the fuck is going on here? Like, would we cuss on this thing or no? Yeah, go ahead. I just felt completely different. I felt relaxed. I felt at home. I had like childlike emotions. I felt safe. I felt endeared and beloved to everyone around me. And I was like, what? Why, what am I already picking up on? Am I projecting this? And uh, the more I hung out with that society and started to learn about it, and uh, it, it became a thicker uh, and more convicted belief in the thing I think I picked up on immediately is uh, eyebrows. I've noticed in, in Scandinavia, most people's eyebrows, unless I'm crazy, tend to be very relaxed because in their society, they're totally taken care of. Just, they just they weren't raised in a competitive, prepared, on guard, prepared to be offended, even in the subtlest ways. There's just there's nothing to be prepared for there. Everything is taken care of. Whereas when you come back to the States, you can just kind of feel this little subtle kind of determined like tension tension in people's eyebrows and I think that's what I was immediately picking up on um, so I'm a massive fan of Scandinavia I hope to kind of let the wind carry me to Oslo and nest there as infrequent frequently um, a lot of Europe has that same Western affectation so it's just a lesser degree um, and then you got the whole like total twists like the Indias and the Southeast Asians which are just a whole nother paradigm of life yeah i think living in america we tend to think that this is the center of the universe uh -huh. and it's like it's only four percent of the world's population is here there's so much more outside of america than in america but we're like the center of culture center of attention and, and media so yes. to speak that that you think that this is the only paradigm mm -hmm. but then there's other people that just live very different lives oh yeah yeah i liken it like the only metaphor i've been able to come up with that i feel like points it out the best to people is that we are the cool kids table in the cafeteria. So it's really exciting, really competitive. Everyone happens to notice very loud, very antagonizing, very exciting. And I believe humans are on earth to experience thrill and the, all the byproducts of the ego, including 
love, release, anxiety, tension, whatever. So, so naturally, the whole and the whole world's coming to our lunch table. But because that's the nature of a human is to seek maximum thrill and ego and you know figuring yourself out and and it also is really admirable because all that competition drives really high art and um, movies and uh, medicine and technology you know that competition drives a lot of fantastical stuff here but until you second guess the whole paradigm you're going to overlook that there's a table just one table over in the cafeteria in which everyone's alarmingly diplomatic and um, gentle and un sexually confused and uh, not meaning confused about their sexuality but uh, sexually shamed I should say sexually shamed and elegant and rich and they have a wonderful social system and rule rules that they all play by and they all support each other and from the moment they are born they just innately assume they'll help each other um, and that's Scandinavia but it's just not dramatic or alarming enough for people to notice it even though everyone there is like ridiculously beautiful and even though like if you could become a citizen like you you would really never have to fear 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 failure um but that's what i've come to discover is that that's not a motivating force of the human the, the common human experience the common human experience the real god is procreation and thrill not love not honor um not any certain god it's just procreate and seek maximum thrill of the positive or negative. And I think until people can articulate that to themselves, they're powerless to it. I think once you can see it as clearly as it is, then I think you have all the power in the world over it. Where did you get that philosophy from? The Thrill one, a book called Existential Kink, which really glued all the kind of things that I had been supposing or reading about or studying or deciphering for myself. That one really put it all together when I realized like, love has no more honor than terror um, in reality. In reality, we're here for maximum thrill. Still what? chewing on this one, it, it makes everything make sense. What is love to you? Love, I would suppose that love is the baseline of total serenity and just curiosity and presence tinted with a not unpleasant sadness, uh, which is the baseline of humans when they're not layered over with the inevitably confusing belief systems of the ego which have no ability to fact check you know like when you're born you you don't get to fact check everything you just have to take an input and make make that make sense with the rest of the input you have which is going to give you tons of misaligned beliefs um covering up the pure love because pure love is a is a non-experience like pure undelineated no variance whatsoever love is no thing a thing has to be separate from another thing so like god in the raw is nothing. It's pure perfection with no delineation, no variance. That's nothing. So if God was in, had an intelligence to it, it would spontaneously create the perfect balance of surprise and content and contrast, which I think is pretty perfectly laid out here. You know. Now that all sounds very poetic. How would you say all that in the simplest way? To you, what is love? <laughs> uh, love is what you are underneath the ego. What is the ego? Uh, ego is the pleasurable collection of misaligned beliefs that allow you to have a journey. Meaning, have you ever watched a movie that doesn't have a bad guy in it? No, you haven't. Right. 
experience, journey, storytelling, timeline requires um, an, op, an, op, an, op, uh, an opposite to your goals. Why does everyone want to watch reality TV show? You want bad things. You want it's contrast. Like conflict, and, conflict and resolution, the opposing viewpoints. Do you and ever, if there isn't an authentic bad guy, people are happy to create them yes. out, of, out of their friends. It's like we need to make one, right? It's like mm -hmm. even sports rivalry or whatever. Like, your team is the evil guys and my team are the good guys. It's like certain um, ways of looking at the world, like always looking for antagonists and protagonists are just part of mm -hmm. the human experience. Until you acknowledge that. Then right. you can transcend it. I am not saying I'm enlightened. I think I'm more lightened, certainly, than I was 10 years ago. But I'm definitely not enlightened to the best of my knowledge. But I feel like I'm really enjoying that I can choose now the drama of what beat would go great with this song or how how much can I really face off with this um, spontaneous bubbling need to feel anxious as opposed to just kind of basic and high-risk conflict with people around me. Do you ever uh, think of life as a movie, so to speak? I don't know if everybody says that, but one of the ways that I do it is that like, whenever I'm facing a lot of difficulty, I think, well, in this chapter of the movie of my life, it just means that my character is about to level up. Because in any movie, you don't get the payoff until the main character who mm. really wants something then faces a huge challenge. And then they go through hell to go through that challenge mm -hmm. and then get the thing that they want. So whenever I'm going through a tough time, I'm like, oh, great, something amazing is right around mm. the corner. Like if it was really easy, then it's like the payoff is already done. It's only when things are difficult that I know that there's a payoff approaching. Mm -hmm. You know, and I got that from the philosophy of movies. Did you, because uh, I know obviously you act in movies, did you study like storytelling, like formally? Like what, what was your training to be in movies? No, I did not study at all. And, and I can look back on so many films and be like, geez, like I was intuitive enough to pull it off and pull it off well and make the acting not horrible, even with certain scripts that were going to be cheesy. I think there's been commentary on certain places that we were able to make it watchable. But no, I like never did the work that really was required to be totally fluid and extra compelling in addition to this story, whether it was well written or not. Um, my training for acting was just the fact that I've been on, me and my best friend like were obsessed with just making sketches and pranks and videos since we were 12, so I just had an absolute comfort and intuition in front of the camera. Um, what was, well, I guess let's take it back to the beginning real quick. Cause were you were a professional dancer first before you were an mm -hmm. actor, right? How'd you get into dancing? Like how did that start? As soon as I saw Michael Jackson, it just, my mind acknowledged like, like if you taste sweet for the first time, you'd be like, oh, well that's obviously the funnest thing <laughs> in the world to eat. Right. As soon as I saw Michael Jackson, I just thought, well, that's the only thing that matters. Like surely everyone's working towards that. Like he's, you can't explain the feeling music gets you, and he, he, he becomes it with his body in the most alarming, striking, ninja, precision, wild, irreverent, free, absurd, unfiltered way. It's like this manifestation of human excellence. Yeah, it's like, well, that's got to be it. So it, I didn't even, it just, you know, because you're a kid. You're not, you're not going like, okay, am I sure that food is food, or is there other food? You're just like, no, food is food, and I right. eat food, and I want food. So that's how I was with Michael. So just repeating it all the time, and my mom noticed that, like, whoa, he's really got a, a knack for that, which I don't summon up to any extra chemistry or talent. I think it's just desire. I think anyone can be talented at anything if they have enough of a focused desire, uh, yes. especially a psychotic desire towards it. Agree. And I think I wanted, yeah, and I think I wanted 
the permission my mom gave Michael Jackson to be that crazy versus the smothered kind of environment I felt like I was in in my family. I think I really wanted that freedom. And I was like, well, that's how you get it. And then she just put me in dance classes, which was weird because in my youth, all there was was tap jazz and ballet and a How place in Alabama. You? Kindergarten was my first actual class. Oh, you were, so you were like yeah. basically a baby. Okay. Yeah. So you were watching Michael Jackson say, I want to do that like kindergarten age. And it wasn't even that I want to do that. It was like, well, obviously I should be doing that. You know, obviously right. I should be moving like him. Yeah. And then she's like, you just take a class. I was like, oh, okay. It's like you don't think about it consciously. It just flows. You know, my parents, they were both ballet dancers and choreographers. So I grew up around it. Like my mom would be like working on shows and I would be like backstage, you know, hanging out. And to me, it yeah. just felt natural. Like, of course we create stuff. Yeah, 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 just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, we prepare it and then we do a show and yay. And then next one. And it just, it just felt like the, the natural rhythm of life. Like, why right. wouldn't I be creating? Right, exactly. Yeah. Now, did your parents uh, support you? Were they like, yes, keep doing the dance thing totally. when you were a kid? Okay. Yeah, my mom was really in support. A really fascinating thing. My mom, she, um, I found out recently she raised us, me and my brother, gender neutral. Um, she was like, Robbie, you don't, you don't even realize, like, because we were having some debates about all the hot topics of the day. And, um, and, I, and I'm, I'm definitely someone who goes like, listen, everyone should always be welcome to be whatever variants of life and masculine and feminine or anything in between. And I think that's the important conversation is like, let's not ever box someone in, but to deny that the overwhelmingly different hormones, the overwhelmingly different chromosomes that almost all vagina owners have versus penis owners, like, like that should, we, we shouldn't be pretending like there aren't major categorical expectations. I think the conversation is let's never make someone feel like they shouldn't or couldn't delineate from that. Anyway, right. So we were talking about that, and she's like, "Robbie, I raised you gender neutral." I was like, "You did what? Mm -hmm. Tell me about this." And she goes, "Yeah, you're the one that taught me that no boys and girls are overwhelmingly often going to be very specifically different because you and your brother both grabbed all the GI Joes immediately and you used the Barbie dolls as hammers every single time." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, fair enough." Um, so then, so you were dancing. Early on. But she really supported me, I think, was what we were yeah, asking a yeah. second ago. And so she she was totally supported. I was in these, all these really weird frou-frou costumes, and my dad was not liking it, but my mom, like, dared him not. Like, she's like, you better not even think about discouraging him from his path, you know? Yeah. So I was really, 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 really lucky in that way. You're doing jazz, tap. Ballet, ballet. but in just, just the fruitiest outfits ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I did ballet for a couple of years when I was a kid. Um, when did you get into hip-hop dancing? Well, I mean, I, I got into it as soon as it was available, which was mostly like sparse visions of it in select music videos. And I would just try to memorize it and eat it up. And then the Fly Girls on Living Color, I would try to catch that on VHS to be able to watch back. And like, there's like four episodes in all of the In Living Colors that had dudes. And I mean, like, honestly, like a lot of just my natural movement is like exactly how they move because I just obsessed on that footage so long. But I, for me, dance isn't nearly as categorical. It has to be spoken about categorically, like just like gender. Right. Um, even though it can be anything. So, like, Michael wasn't hip-hop to me. He was, if anything, he was fury. So, for mm. me, dancing is fury, and hip-hop complements fury the most, but now Crump really complements fury the most. So now Crump is my new obsession and absolute pleasure to be learning. Yeah, well, just like, uh, you know, hip-hop music i could play you 10 different hip-hop songs that sound nothing alike mm -hmm. i could be a hip-hop song songs on a hip-hop album that just have all piano 
don't even have a beat on it, right? Like they, those songs do exist, but they're on a hip hop album. Mm -hmm, so it's mm -hmm. just like how the genres are just, we're calling it hip hop, but really mm -hmm. it's music. I but think mu movement is the same way, right? Like, yeah. Because there's a bit of every a style and a lot of styles. So you, you could blend them. I think there's an unquantifiable essence, though, to everything. Like mm -hmm. the original punk rock of the, the Pink Lincolns and the Dicks and the Ramones, if I know my history correct, versus the really produced and beautiful nature of Lincoln Park. Like the, the originators might like just hate Lincoln Park. I don't know. They might be like, what the hell is that? That's not our sound. That's not raw. It's not whatever. But there's an essence in it that's undeniable. There's an right. essence that still is familiar. Right. So I think it's right to categorize things as long as you speak about it mindful that there's no real legitimacy to the category. It's an essence. It's, un, it's unexplainable and you only use it as much as you need to to just kind of paint a loose picture of what you're talking about or where you're going or what class you're looking for or how you feel. Right, right. Like a, like a ballet could be about a bunch of things, but there's an essence to ballet. Yeah. Like you could do a hip hop song about something happy or about something sad, but there's still hip-hop yeah. essence to it there's like the usually intention. a certain feel to the yeah. drum patterns there's usually a certain energy to the movement that you know what i mean um yeah when did dancing become something that you were going to take seriously enough to to do professionally like because every kid you know they take you know minor league baseball you know whatever junior league or like like i played basketball in school i didn't give a shit about basketball as a career mm -hmm. right when did you know it was going to be not did just you ever hobby? get a shot not blocked <laughs> I, it's a matter of fact, <laughs> I, I only scored one good shot, <laughs> and it was against a kid who uh, was bullying me, and there was this one time in PE, and there were like some cute girls that happened to be walking in the class, and I just sank a three on him, <laughs> and it was like the best feeling of all time, because I don't know basketball at all, like I'm more of a soccer player, you know, but when I did that, I was just like, I can hang up the game now, like yeah. that was, I got all the satisfaction Go I'm ever going to need, he was like visibly bullying me, and then I just sank one on him, and everybody mm. saw it, which just made it like, Beautiful. It, it fed my ego so much, I was Beautiful. so happy about that. Good. Um, but when, when did it go, okay, this is not just a hobby I do in school and I'm going to get a real job later. When did it become like, no, I'm going to take this seriously? Mm -hmm. That was, um, it was always just this weird, obscure thing. But I'm like in class with all the hottest girls in my school that are two years older than me. And we're all half naked. And I, I just kept going because I just like, was going. Um, and then... I started to realize I was getting kind of a good and I was kind of outgrowing my studio and my mom was like, oh, well, an hour and a half south in Birmingham, Alabama, there's this place called the Alabama School of Fine Arts. You can go dorm there and train all day, but it's classical ballet. Like in high school? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't want to do classical ballet, but at the time, everyone still would tell you like, well, if you want to do anything with dance, you got to do classical ballet. Bullshit. Right. Um, but that's all the opportunities I had anyway. And I was like, dude, do I really want to leave all my friends? She's like, just try it for a month and you can leave. So I go down there and I'm in hog heaven because it's all artists, painters and, and, and math science geeks and theater kids and dance kids. So yeah. I'm, I'm just like, here's my world. <laughs> um, and then simultaneously, there's this really well-known um, studio, dance studio in Birmingham, Alabama. And a girl named Kim Wolf came from L.A. to kind of get out of L.A. and teach, teach regularly there. And she's like one of the, she might be the best female dancer ever lived, man. Her, like her fire... Her technique, her, her look, her attack, like she's just insane. So I happened upon really great training. I had elite classical ballet training in the day, jazz at night, and then a, a small, small and very hard-headed b-boy crew developed down there called the BMW crew. Um, but I was talking to Kim 
uh, one night and she was telling me like, well, yeah, like I, I worked as a dancer. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like in movies and stuff. And I'm like, what do you mean you danced in movies? And she's like, well, like Aladdin. I was like the anim animation model for the, the movement in Aladdin and I paid really good. And that movie Showgirls, I was one of the girls dancing. Like they hire people and I was like, oh, like cool dancing, like not ballet. You can do like cool dancing and get paid in movies in LA. What's LA and what's Hollywood, you know? Um, and that's when I was like, oh, okay, now I think I know my job now. And from that point on was like, like psych psychotic training, like the, every single day, every afternoon, every, everything. And I had no resources, you know, I had no, we didn't, there was, there wasn't a cell phone, much less an iPhone. I just had VHS and whatever I could find in a music video, and, but I would obsess on it. Um, yeah. So about How the age of 14, 14, 14 is when it got like, I was like. Okay. And at that I, point, I the get, mission was be ready. to train, right? At that point, it was like, let me just become just the best I can be. Just train. How often were you taking classes? Well, you had two class. You had two classical ballet classes a day, and then I think I had two times a night or two times a week jazz training, which I would have done every night if I could have. One night a week b boy, and then another night a week tap dance. Yep. And then rehearsals for when ballets were coming up. What was your first dance job? Mercedes-Benz Industrial. Uh, Mercedes-Benz opened a plant in um, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Okay. And uh, one of Kim's friends from L.A. knew about it, so she kind of hipped her to it. We all went and auditioned, and I got the job, and that was really cool. And I was dancing with L.A. dancers, and I was so green, so eager, just probably such a weird guy to be around. And then after the show was over, they had, like, just all these, because Mercedes, you know, they're not sparing any expensive. So all the, like, you know, the business people of Mercedes on the big Mercedes plant lot, and like like vats of steak and vats of shrimp and and just like as much alcohol as you want, um, and that was a really fun and very like regal feeling experience. You know, I got paid to dance with LA dancers. I couldn't believe it. That's amazing. And then when did you decide to move to LA? That was always essentially the idea because through Kim, I had a pretty direct line of how to get there, what to do, and she was even going to introduce me to her agent. Um, Kim. I think tactically kind of allowed me to keep thinking I wasn't going to be quite good enough and I got to really keep working. And I think Kim also saw that my social skills weren't that great and she was trying to keep me humble. But I got to that city thinking I might not get a job for five years. Bitch, I got the first job. I was so overtrained. I had endurance that no <laughs> one could touch. You're like, you won't, you can't fatigue me. Yeah. Now you can. Um, <laughs> But I'll pick up any style. I'll, I'll add a b-boy trick for you. Uh, you know, like I was a ninja. And I really didn't think I was an attractive person. Now I accept that I'm an attractive person, and I, and I really enjoy that. But um, you are attractive. Thanks, uh, babe. When you when you moved to LA, though, did you move to LA with a plan? Did you move to LA with money? Did you have like months of rent saved up? Was it no. like like what was your actual? Tell me about that. The rawness of it. I probably had. I want to say Kim really hooked me up, and I'm pretty sure she gave me more than I deserved. Um, we stopped at a couple of studios on her name to teach. Uh, in a couple of cities like Oklahoma on the way to driving because she drove across LA to help me get there and um, I think she paid me a lot more than I should have gotten for being her assistant to try to help me out um, yeah. so I think I showed up with somewhere between one and two thousand dollars and I was completely prepared to sleep on people's couches like I thought yeah same I'm gonna either die and I think that's the level you have to be at to, mm -hmm. to, to for this to work for you it has to be I'm either gonna die or I'm gonna do this yep I was fully prepared to be starving and be weird um, on someone's couch, but all I wanted was to dance with the great dancers. Yes. That's all that mattered. So, um, but luckily, within like five months, 
her, her former agent immediately signed me um, based on her word and probably based on some footage or something. And then first job was Miss America, choreographed by Barry Lather with all the dudes, with all the fellas. And that was awesome. You know, I had no concept of how to flirt with girls at the time, but we were around all the Miss Americas and um, dancing and being all cool. And um, um, yeah. And did you have to get a regular job when you were here? Or never, were you just never. staying on couches and... Uh, I had enough for like, for the first five or six months, I was okay. I think I was living in just a really low budget two bedroom with some dude. Um, but I started working pretty quick and pretty consistently. Uh, what was your first big movie job? You got served. Well, I danced in the movie Vanilla Sky. Uh, just in a party scene, they just wanted like real dancers to make the party scene look cool. And Tom Cruise's little ass, I mean, that boy is little, like little, little, like small, thin, little. Tom uh, Cruise, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, yeah. Mr. TC. Yeah, so he's coming by like in this, I think he's got his mask on too, coming by in the crowd. And he's a lovely guy, like I've, I've yeah. heard, never heard anything bad thing about him, but because he's your action hero, it's extra striking when you see what a short and frail person he is. <laughs> and you're completely disgusting, not honorable ego goes, I could kick his ass right now. <laughs> um, and they kept trying to have me position to face the back, but I knew better than that. I knew I needed my face in there to get residuals. And so every time the camera come on, come on, <laughs> like that. And you can tell you see it if you watch Vanilla Sky in the club scene, you see me all of a sudden yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to make sure my face got seen. Uh, that was my first dance movie job and then after that the next movie I did was uh, You Got Served where I choreographed all the bad guy stuff and um, you choreographed that too? yeah oh that's it. amazing my, my crew is my choreography except for one section Dave Scott choreographed that section and then uh, played the, the the bad boy um, was that your first time feeling like you were like really being on the movie I know you're like more in the background before but that was the, the first one where you were like seen well, keep in mind, I wasn't expecting at all to ever act. I thought acting was corny. All the musical theater kids from my high school were just were such like cheesy, just always belting songs. And I was like, oh, I hate these people. They're so melodramatic. And I just didn't have a, I just never thought of the fact that the really great movies, like decent people are doing those cool roles. I just assumed acting meant cheesy weird person that sends their headshots to everyone and hustles for a job. And I'm like, no, I want to walk into a room and prove it immediately. I want to walk into a room and be the dopest dancer you've ever seen and earn my keep that way. So I hated the concept of acting and I didn't expect it at all. And when You Got Served came up, it was just like, oh, cool, like Vanilla Sky, like a movie that you dance in. Like they'll have a dance scene. And even though the movie was a dance movie, it just, it had, that hadn't happened since the 80s and breaking. So it just we didn't even cerebralize it. And we probably all expected it would be one of the ones that, that don't make it to theaters. Right. So there wasn't any, I was just like, oh, shit, and I'm getting a line. And a lot of people get lines. You know, you get a dance job and then they get, because of this role, you got to have a couple lines in an episode of right. whatever. So uh -huh. that wasn't crazy to get lines. But I had quite a few. So I was more just focused and having a great, I was, I was amped at the fact that me, Dave Scott and Shane Sparks got to pull dancers from anywhere we wanted in the world, bring them in, create the craziest, most inventive battles we could possibly think of. That's what I was so stoked about. And that's all I cared about. The lines were just like, oh, cool. I'm going to do lines too. Yeah. Just didn't even kind of comprehend. Of the time, just being able to have the resources to bring the talent that you yes. want. 
no concept or anticipation of what if this dance movie gets big. Not even, no one was even kind of thinking. I mean, not no one, but sure. it was more like, oh, we're all here with dancers. Oh, there's that girl I wanted to date anyway. Oh, <laughs> Kevin hates that guy. You know, just like dancer shit. Yeah. No concept of what that could have done or where dance was going. Because for so long, dance was just background noise. Did your life change after that one or more so after the Step Up movie? It changed because my manager, who's a very, like, you know, he's a mover, um, introduced himself to me because he, he represented Megan Good at the time. And he was like, hey, do you want to be an actor? I was like, nah. <laughs> he's like, no, trust me. Do you have anyone managing him? And I was like, nah. He's like, okay, call me. I didn't call him. And he chased me down. He had me come into an uh, audition or, uh, um, to meet with him. It's this really beautiful office. I was like, what is this place? Yeah. And uh, he's like, look, look, let me just put you on audition see how you do. And I was like, all right, fine. So I go to this audition for a pilot for a, a network show, and um, are, they bring me. It's down to me and one other dude, and they want me, but they're like, "He's never done a single thing. We just can't trust him to handle this pilot." Yeah. And then when they told me how much money I would have made, I was like, "Wait, what? How much money?" <laughs> I was like, "Okay, yeah, let's do more acting auditions. Why not?" Okay, cool. So now I'm in the mix, and I'm very comfortable because I don't care, and I'm really comfortable in front of the camera for my own organic explorations which I think is the best explorations even though it took me another 10 years to understand the logistics of how and why to do your the work the work is just figuring out why would a human being actually say this as opposed to the melodramatic assumptions you can't help but make your first read that you right. want to hold on to for lack of not knowing the answer yet right that's what that acting is uh so then I got, you got served from audition. I got wild and out from an audition. And that's when things started to be like, oh, whoa, I'm doing acting stuff. I'm getting flown around places. I'm doing press junkets and stuff. But I was still so incredibly socially misaligned with how people are and what's normal and completely unaware of how freaked out my body was at all moments and that my mind was trying to find the reason why my body was so freaked out from my traumas. So I was, you know, I was a wild card, but I was just good. Um, and so I got those jobs and then they offered me, you got step up to, which was only supposed to be a straight to DVD sequel to Channing's movie, which I didn't know it was between me and Channing for like years later, I find out it's between me and Channing for step up one. They loved me. It was between me and Channing for the lead and she's the man. I'm like, what? Like, I just didn't get it. Now I get it. Like I was a decent looking dude and I was <laughs> good. I was really comfortable in front of the camera. But at the time I was like, what do you mean it was between me and Channing? That doesn't even make sense. Like Channing looks like a... A, a caveman and a woman at the same time. He's beautiful. <laughs> you know what I mean? um, Isn't it funny how it takes a while for us to appreciate our own beauty? Oh. Even when other people tell you. Yeah. Like, if you don't believe you're beautiful, it doesn't matter how many people mm -hmm. tell you that. You're just like, nah. You're just saying that to be nice to me. Well, until you get to the unconscious belief that you don't know you have, nothing changes. I think, from my point of view, everything is beliefs. Everything is unconscious beliefs that you do, you are or are not aware of. Yeah. So, you got step up too. Mm-hmm. You're starring in a movie. Mm -hmm. How did it affect your life, straight up? <laughs> Dating was a lot easier. My bank account looked a lot better. Um, but the process of doing the movie was very high stress for me. I was just really, really focused. Some of the characters around that, um, that, that process, in front and behind the scenes, um, for a variety of different reasons, weren't entirely positive for me some of it because I was projecting some of it because I wasn't understanding people some of it because they just aren't really great people 
so it was a very focused and stressful and I'd already kind of like slowly escalated to where I was like kind of used to the fact that this is happening. But everyone will tell you this. Once you start to be in the public eye in that way, everyone that's in that situation always thinks the movie they're doing is the last movie they'll ever do. Because it's true. And, and we forget there's like 30 people that have maybe just just don't fade. But there's so many people that pop up, pop up, pop up, and then they're just gone. But you don't think about them because you're not seeing them. You're just remembering, well, I've always seen Brad Pitt. Right. But what about Justin Long? Right. Justin Long was in every movie for a year. Now, maybe Justin Long took a step back because he didn't want to do more movies. I don't know. But you don't even think about the fact that where did Justin Long go? He's just gone. So every movie you do, the bigger it gets, the more you're like, well, this is the last time. I can't compete at this level. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to screw this up and it'll be over now. So I better, you know what I mean? So it becomes much more focused. Um, so were you more so stressed about that during the process? Yeah. Oh, I was laser focused during the process. Um, and then after it came out, you said your bank account was better. Dating was easier. Yeah. How did it affect you personally, spiritually? It doesn't. I it get doesn't. that question all the time. And I, and I, and I quit. And, and okay. Now, I've answered this question a lot. Is it because you were already making it before then? As in like, uh, it's like if that was level 10, you were already on level 9 before. So it wasn't like you went from 1 to 10. You went it's from like 9 to 10. It, it is like that. It's also that I wasn't really famous. I was successful. A lot of people in the world know my face now. A lot of people in the world kind of know my face but can't figure out why. <laughs> um, but there's the next one. I'm still not Leonardo DiCaprio. Right. You know, when I go to a party and um, Tyler, uh, what's, the, what's the main guy from uh, the 70s show? Um, Topher. Topher Grace is at the party, yeah. and I'm just completely naive to social hierarchy. To me, it's all about charisma, and that's all I care about. But I forget. We're talking in a group, and a couple cute girls there, and I've kind of got a thing going, and Topher just talks kind of under his breath, and everyone just stops listening to me. And waits to see what Topher's going to say, you know. So there's still that thing that you feel like you didn't get. And uh, I'll say this because I always speak too much, but even, even right now I feel like it's okay to say. No one likes when I tell them this. Uh, but it is the truth. So I'm going to go with it since we're on a podcast and it's all about, you know, the fun of the truth. The truth is once it gets to a certain level, it's inexperienceable. It's, it's too abstract. You can't experience six million people as long as you live. It won't happen. When Justin Bieber goes to shows now, it's no longer like, wow, there's 10 people here. Like, hey, what's up? Oh, I remember you. Hey, what's up? Let's have drinks afterward. Once he gets to 100 people, it's a little less like that, but it's still cool. Once you get to 100,000 or 1,000 people, it's a wall of individuals. You cannot right. experience them aside from the way I'm experiencing a Justin Bieber concert. I'm looking at the camera from the stage and I see a wall of people. That's the only experience he's getting. He can only meet three of those people tops. Right. If he ex skips his family's dinner and skips his sleep, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Right. The difference between 10,000 subscribers on Instagram and 6 million is just your feeling when you see the difference in how many digits are on your smartphone. That's right. it. It's not like you're individually DMing everybody. You can't DM that many people anyway. Yeah. Like it depends on what your values are in life. Like yeah. if you buy a million, if you get $2 billion, like, okay, tomorrow you're on a yacht. I'm on a yacht. I just don't own it. But the experience is the same. Yeah, it's like after a certain point, it doesn't matter. It's almost like if you're swimming in a, in a lake that's 100 feet deep, it's no less scarier than swimming at the deepest part of the ocean. Because it's like, we're not touching the ground anyway. It's 
way below you. Perfect analogy or metaphor. Yeah. I don't know which one. Yeah. So I already know to just love the fact that largely I can pop up in, a, in, a, in any country and someone will probably be aware of me. And from there, I can branch off into a bunch of people who are probably going to be really excited to see me. And uh, again, it's such I know this is a bummer, but fuck it, we're doing truth today because people want to believe like it's the reason if anyone's watching this right now, they're either watching it because they really want to know my artistic point of view just to add to theirs or because they want to believe that I have something supernatural going on. But the truth is I don't. And the truth is that I don't go to Ralph's and a million people swarm me. Everyone's like, how hard is it to go out in public? And I'm like, <laughs> I was in a film 10 years ago. Yeah. Like maybe one person notices in me and they're probably gonna go like this. That's it, that's how my day changes. But if you have a weird shorts on or if you're a cute girl, you're gonna get the same difference. Yeah. Dave Chappelle said it perfectly and I was like, okay, thank God someone else said it. You become unfamous to people real quick. You know what I mean? Mm. If you're Brad Pitt, but you go over three times in a row to your neighbor's house for dinner, by that third night, you are unfamous to them. You might even be a little irritable or ir ir irritating. You know what I mean? Because we're all people. It's almost like uh, for somebody, for us to hold somebody as famous, we have to hold them as separate. Because all the people that I know that are known for anything, in my mind, I feel like I know the real them more than the famous them. I'm like, the fame thing. That that's not, it's almost hard to believe that the fame is real when you know somebody in person mm -hmm. because the, the, the status of it is a separation, you know? Yes. It, it's, it's kind of like when people tell you you're pretty but you don't believe it, you know? It's like uh, every successful person that I know, I'm like, oh, but that's just such and such. Mm -hmm. Y'all see him as that, but I just, it's like, uh, it's almost like I don't believe the fame even though they are famous. And you can project when, when there's a separation, you can project qualities that you unconsciously don't even know yet. Yeah. You want to believe certain people have, and it would be amazing if they actually had it. Yeah. Like, like, like with, uh, with dating with men and women, like you, what you're really noticing is she doesn't happen to be facing your direction. So you're loading her up with reasons why she's not facing you. She's probably not facing you because she's literally looking at the menu of a thing as opposed to like, Oh, I have this secret thing that you don't have. And if you could attain my attention and my physical permission, right. then you would have it again. And then, you know, men of that psychology, they get it and they're like, oh, moving on. Hence the stereotype of guys only one thing. They move on. It's like it's like we're, it's like we're addicted to the state of wanting. You exactly. know, it's, it's just like for success. I mean, like I'm technically more successful now than I've ever been. And I feel mm -hmm. like I'm just getting started because every time I get something, the goalpost just keeps moving and moving mm -hmm. and moving. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, I'm still just a kid with a camera trying to one day be successful. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. it doesn't even feel like I've done anything. And then I look right. at my resume, I'm like, oh, I have done stuff. But in my mind, I'm like, but that stuff doesn't count. It's, it, you know what I mean? It's, totally. it's, it's like, because the feeling that we want is that win the lottery feeling. Right. It's like going from level one to level 10, like, holy shit, we did it. Mm -hmm. But in reality, you go from one to two, two to three, three to four. By the time you get to 10, it's right. just a one right, step right, jump. Right, 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 right. You know, it's just, it's like, it's like in golfing. It's like, it's not a hole in one. It's like when the ball's right next to the hole and you just like tap it in. Yeah, that's what it's really like. Yes, when yes, you make yes, it. yes, yes, yes. It's yes, like yes. you were right there yes. anyway, and I think we we want to feel like it's the hole in one. Like we came from the bottom, right. straight over there. Right. We made it, but it's not. It's just a lot of work of just positioning yourself. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Uh, so it reminds me of similar. Somebody said, um, I can't remember the one I was going to think. I'll think of it in a second. But a, a similar one was a Scooter Braun in an interview said something that I thought was really illuminated what I'm starting to realize is why I am much more interested in my own, my own personal momentum as, a mo as opposed to other people's momentum and 
being a part of other people's momentum or a stereotypical or a, or a, a normal entertainment momentum. He said, success is like this. Success is like anyone can go to this uh, baseball field and you're going to get thrown 100 mile fast mile balls by this professional uh, baseball player. And all you got to do is hit uh, a home run. And if you hit a home run, you can, um, you'll win $100 million. And there's a long, long line. Just everyone in the world wants to come take it. And, you know, a lot of people take a couple of swings and like, damn, this is impossible. I just can't do it. I can't do it. They give up. They move on, move on. And if you take a lot of swings, everyone behind you is going like, dude, you know, you got this long line of people going, dude, you know. And then if you're the one person that stays up there for however many days or weeks or months with everyone behind you being like, dude, eventually anyone can hit a 100 mile an hour fastball from the greatest pitcher on earth. And then you get your $100 million. Do you want it that bad? And I was like, I don't. I don't. I like I like life and I'm I'm now supposing that the universe actually is an intelligent thing. And if you can recognize that your ego wants to stay locked in the perception, the completely fallible perception of thrill, which will always end you up in the same place because you only know how to get yourself into the place you've always been in. And the place you've always been in produced a want. You can't get the want from the paradigm of thought that you've always been in because that's how you developed your want by not having the perspective that gets you those things. So if you let go, uh, not only will just new things be able to happen, but maybe an intelligent universe that's paradoxically also you, but outside of this chosen separate intelligence for the moment can actually make all kinds of crazy cool stuff happen. So I was like, no, I don't want that success. I want the one where I go, I did it. I played that game. Now I want to relax and just see if this universe will actually dance with me. And so far, it's working great. Yeah, um, I feel like I can relate to that a lot because in the first stage of my life, it was just about proving that I could do it, right? Like proving that I can, my videos can look professional. What is the science? What is the method to like making it happen? And, and trying to be very strategic and tied to the outcome, you know? Mm -hmm. And then at a certain point, you know, I was able to make my goals happen, but I felt like I was stressing too much about it. <laughs> and then now it's like, hmm, I'm learning to just be and things are happening. It's almost like I'm doing less, but making more things happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, like obviously I have projects, I have clients, things that are happening, but I'm not uh, achieving to be happy. I'm happily achieving. Beautiful. You know, that, that, that's the, the goal that I have right now, you know, because it's like, oh, you know, especially when you have friends that are really successful, you know, your friends that, that have made a lot of money or most of my friends do way better stuff than I do, you know? So, so I see it as normal. I'm like, yeah, of course you can win Grammys and do this and do that, but, but they still have issues too. So, so I think I'm learning to let go of the facade that things are going to be better when I'm a multimillionaire or whatever. <laughs> it's like, yeah, probably will be a multimillionaire eventually, um, but it's not going to be awesome then. It needs to be awesome now. Because yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. if it's not awesome now, it's not going to be awesome then. Then I'll be really pissed. You know, like this year was my best year career wise, but I was so stressed because I wasn't used to things going so right consistently. I was like uh, emotionally addicted to being in survival mode. And then when <laughs> things started going really right, instead of enjoying it, I was like stressed, like afraid that I was going to lose it. Like you said, like when you're doing that movie, you're thinking, mm -hmm. oh, this might be the last movie ever. That's how it felt this last year where, where you know, these new businesses I started were just rocking it. And really without much of anything going wrong, like they were just going consistently good. And I was just like, oh gonna be over soon you know what I mean I was like I can't lose this and it was like my whole experience was different and um, I don't know I went to this workshop that just helped me release that I used to think that if I was uh, if I let go of the attachment to outcome I would be lazy yeah mm -hmm. and it was like, well, I can't be lazy so I must be attached to the outcome mm -hmm. but now it's like no, no we're gonna get the outcome and that's the ego or Maya keeping you in the dance 
you know, keeping you in this very thrilling dance. But it takes a lot of unraveling to get yourself above the dance to where you're like, oh, okay, I can, I can float above this and enjoy it effortlessly now. What do you want to create now? Uh, I'd love to answer that question, uh, but first I want to uh, tag on two things to what we were just talking about. Number one is um, the thing I was trying to think of earlier was I heard a really cool thing from somebody. It might have been the baby. I don't know who it was. It was somebody that pointed out the thing about becoming a millionaire is once you're a millionaire, if you spend one dollar, you're no longer a millionaire again. Right. I thought that was such an interesting thought. Yeah. Um, and then I also wanted to tag back to when you were saying um, the one thing. I, to me, that's such an enlightening thing. And very few people are, I find, at a place where they can be objectively honest with themselves to recognize, do you really want that thing or do you want to want that thing? Do you, are you enjoying wanting that thing? And that's where that book, Existential Kink, knocks you off your ass. When you look at everything from all angles, round it down and you get it. Oh my God, I do get a thrill from being jealous. I get a, a stimulation. I get a, a jolt of excitement from being jealous, whatever, right. whatever. Like we and, secretly crave it. Yeah, because it's thrill. Like, do you go to a horror film for love? No, you literally pay for the most immersive experience possible. Dark theater, perfect sound, massive screen. Everything takes you into this reality. For what? Thrill. Not resolution, not child rearing, not now child rearing is also a part of thrill, but we're here for thrill, not love. We are love here for a fantastical journey, which requires the opposite of love in all of its colors, you know, death, torture, all that stuff. And I think once you notice that, then once you admit that, then you can work from a clear platform and actually start to make Choices such as, ooh, I want to go more for love now. I want to, you know, I don't want all these thrills. I don't want all that. I got kind of lost in the middle of what you said. Got it. Because it sounded like we're all loving beings that just want to be here and do satanic stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I know that's not what you meant, but it kind it's of a part of what I mean, that, right? So, tell me if I'm understanding your 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 sentence correctly. That we are love. Like mm -hmm. that is where we come from. That is who we are on the inside. But in the physical manifestations, as human beings, biological beings, right here, right now we have certain needs. And one of those needs is for that sense of uncertainty, that sense of thrill, right? The sense of aliveness, that even when um, things are going right, sometimes we subconsciously look for something to go wrong because it's like part of us feels like, well, there has to be something, like an opponent, like the movie metaphor from earlier, right? There has to be a bad guy in the story. If there isn't one, we'll make one up. Because, and the only thing to, to amend to that, to, make it, to bring it together to where it's a, a beautiful and holistic thing as opposed to like a scary thing is that Pleasure is not experienceable without pain. So the pain is here so that we can have an experience of pleasure. Do you I, have to have pain to have pleasure? Okay, so let me, I think I'm going to have to do the Alan Watts uh, overview so that people don't think just I'm like this weird sadistic uh, crazy <laughs> asshole that wants bad things for everybody. Um, without this point of view readjustment, what I'm saying, even though I think I'm saying it perfectly, can not register as a beautiful holistic thing. Okay, <clears throat> so Alan Watts would suppose, and this is the truth that I've found to be the least okay. deniable. And I think I can do this really quickly. Let's suppose there was one intelligent God, an intelligent entity uh, before time and space, before humanity, before anything. Okay, well, we would have to assume the best we can possibly postulate about this would that be an, an infinite cloud of pink perfection and love. Undelineated, it's God here we're talking about, undelineated, no variance, the most pristine nonstop zing of perfection and love. 
everything here is a modulation. Sound waves are a modulation. The vibration of the atom, like everything is a modulation. Everything is good, bad, you know, relief, stress, whatever. So it's this one really specific psychological threshold you have to cross over to be able to work with this. God in that case would be nothing. One delineated, perfect, pristine anything is nothing. It has no variance. It has nothing to register it by. It's just that is literally the definition of no thing. It's nothing. All right. So if we're assuming there's an intelligence there, well, God would immediately concoct a way to have an experience, to be not no thing. And think about that word, no thing. A thing is distinguished from another thing. That's the only way a thing can be a thing. Okay. So we would assume that God would then uh, somehow create that and maybe like a Big Bang where he creates content and contrast all of a sudden. And let's say God goes to sleep every night and has a 70-year dream from a singular perspective so that he's now a thing with other things in which to experience himself, hot, cold, good, bad, the contrast in which he can experience the love. And so God um, is just nailing, he's just having all these amazing, perfect adventures. And then after maybe a week, he's like bored. He's like, okay, I did everything. So he's like, well, you know, let me go back and tweak all the buttons. Let me go turn up some thrill, turn up some pain. Um, turn up some love, turn up relief, you know, tweaks everything perfect because he's God, his knobs will be perfect. And he's like, wait, there's one thing missing. Oh, I know I'm God, so I, I'm not buying it. Let me drop into these dreams and completely forget that I'm God. So from my point of view, and the only point of view that I've ever seen that can't be fuddled with, here we are, you and I, God, everyone else, God, God, um, in an infinite paradoxically infinite amount of perspectives enjoying the only way to enjoy himself by forgetting that you're God. by forgetting your God and being in a place that has the opposite of love, including the worst things you can imagine. And without them, you just wouldn't be able to experience the intensity of the most beautiful hug you've ever had because of the most beautiful ever hug you ever had after, after 10,000 years is the worst thing you could possibly imagine. You know, everything here is contrast. So, I haven't found anything that defies that, those realizations or logic. I would love to, like my favorite thing to do is realize when I'm wrong. Um, but that one seems pretty bulletproof. So from that point of view, does it make it a little bit more sensical why I say that the, yes. the good and the bad are here for, we're here to experience to that experience and you got to admit that. So then you can condition yourself because otherwise your unconscious mind is going to, it's going to set you, it's, it's here to set you up for thrill. Like you're not supposed to be conscious. Like God is asleep right now inside of you. Yeah. Enjoying the most immersive movie you can possibly create because it's God. So if you want to really push it and get crazy, then you really look at it for what it is. And you're like, okay, my unconscious mind. I like, I say up here, like, I don't ever want to cheat or be cheated on. And it's like, hey, dude, that's the most thrilling thing in the world. And that sets you up for more appreciation of the of the really committed beautiful love you have after that or blah 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 once you admit that then you can more realistically earnestly stop being in situations where you go like i don't know why i did that <laughs> i know why because <laughs> it, it was a great thrilling. thrill yeah. yeah straight up so that's the point of reference for that 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 resonates with me yeah that that seems like there's nothing about what you just said right then that uh, doesn't jive with me Cool. Then I'm saying it, I'm, I'm laying it out well now. Yeah, I like the way you put that there because I'm not particularly religious. You know, my mom was, but she's really open-minded. And uh, I believe that there's a higher entity. The specifics and the stories and the books that were written, you know, that's a whole other story. Um, 
but that's something about that feels right. Like whenever a good idea happens, right? Like whenever I have an idea for something, and I assume this is because maybe I'm projecting it when other people have great ideas. I think ideas are like these things that want to be born through us. Just like a baby, mm. right? You could say God or whatever wants this baby to come out so they'll make it you and this girl fall in love and you'll make a baby. And there, yeah, there yeah, was yeah. something that wanted to be born. I feel yeah. the same is true for ideas. Like when I, like sometimes when I hear a great song, I feel like I know that song right away. Mm. I'm like, I, mm. I feel like I'm saying the words for the first time as I'm here for the first time. It's mm -hmm. almost like creativity is like a Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. some people have the password. They may not know it, but they're already kind of pre-logged in. So they get these downloads of ideas mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that come through as desires. It's like, I don't know why I want to start this podcast or this thing, but I just feel like I have to. Yeah. And something is working through me, through my desires mm -hmm. and, and, and to create. And I, I, I feel that whenever something is great, it just is you know like when you mm -hmm. see like when i look at a strawberry i'm just like that looks so fucking it just looks great it tastes great it's just a perfect it looks like it was designed you know mm -hmm. like it, it's it's a really nice designed fruit and then when you when i hear a great song by kanye or when i you know open up the box for the new iphone there's certain things that just when they come out you're just like huh mm -hmm. that's, that's mm -hmm. an awesome thing why mm -hmm. why is that why? why why do people all laugh at a certain joke why do a lot of people agree that this song is great there's something about that. There is some kind of sacred pattern of excellence. I don't know what it is, but you get where I'm going here? Yeah. Like, why is a great song a great song? And why is a shitty song? Like, I know some people might not connect to certain music, but why is great music considered great music? Something about the mathematics of the patterns of how the, the notes and the melody go that just hit. Why? Because they're like from source, maybe? Mm -hmm. They're from, you know, like, have you ever seen those videos of when they put the sand on the the plate and then they tune it to like certain audio hertz and it creates the patterns mm -hmm. have you seen that mm -hmm. it's like real patterns like mm -hmm. the kind of patterns that we would see like in quilts mm -hmm. or whatever but that's nature right there you just mm -hmm. you tune it and it makes geometrical patterns that means that geometrical patterns aren't just a silly thing that humans came up with right 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 right, right. you know like dogs don't make triangles but somehow sound waves do yeah. on sand so that means that we didn't come up with triangles triangles are a thing Totally. I'm with you it. You kind of get that? It's yeah. like, I think about that all the time, about like, where do great ideas come from? Because they just come to us. We'll go well, from a the, state of not having an idea to then, I got it. And most of the rock stars, they um, all say, like, why are we talking about where we went to high school? Like, this isn't us. We're just letting something happen through us. And that's kind of how I feel about photography. As much as my photography is just kind of, you know, provocative and very, like, sexy and kind of naughty. I always feel like I know once the image has become art and worth posting somewhere. Um, and I think it's because with photography, you have no identity, no outcome dependency on it, no concern, no you know embarrassment about, I don't know the lights yet, uh, I'm wasting time on shots that don't matter yet. I'm, I'm just totally confident that something's gonna come out. Similar to how Tony Robbins, I was like, oh, that's what Tony Robbins thinks when he's like, I don't have a plan, I'm gonna go on stage and I know I'm going to find out how to move these people. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm a totally an advocate of that. I don't think I have that with dance because dance was always a very egocentric uh, venue for me. I think with freestyle, it's starting to become more holistic. But, um, yes, I completely agree. And there's a guy, uh, I forget who it was on Joe Rogan podcast lately. Did you see that one where he's like, you pured it? He's like, when I was on DMT or something, he's like, I realize there's certain things you do and everything about it is just so pure that you pured it. It's like when Tiger, o Tiger Woods swings or something. You have to find that one, it's really cool. I definitely, I, I can relate to what you're saying about um, you identify as a dancer, right? It, it was part of your identity, maybe. And uh, so the way your ego perceives the process of you 
performing dance other than freestyle, right? When you're doing a job or whatever, there's a certain ego attached to it, right? Like with me, when I'm directing videos or whatever, there's a part of me that says, well, no, I am a great video director, so therefore the video must be great. And if it's not great, I'm gonna lose points in my identity. Mm -hmm. So I, I better make it great. And now there's a tension on your body and mind right. that restricts the total creative flow. Whereas like even like doing this podcast, it was just like, mm, I, I really don't have any plans for this. I mean, I hope it's gonna do good, but I really like talking. Like most times when you and I have phone calls, they're like this. Mm -hmm. This is like our usual phone calls. And mm -hmm. we just go back and forth and I feel like I wanna share it. I don't have an ego attached to it. Like I'm a great podcaster. Just like, mm -hmm. this, is, this is feeding my curiosity. Like I'm, I feel a lot of joy from having these conversations. And it's, um, although I'm filming them, it's different than when I'm making a video. Totally. And it, it, it's almost like I have the main pursuit that I'm doing consciously. And then I need to have a side pursuit mm, mm, to mm, have different mm. energy exchanges with it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to be able to show up better for that. Yeah. You know, like totally I, I, I don't know how it's happened with you with dancing and photography. Totally. Right? Like when I started doing this podcast and I put effort into something that's not making any money, but it's just making me happy. It gave me juice within the other projects I'm doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then I learned something about the amount of effort I put into this. I'm like, oh, well, if I just put this effort over there, that'd be great. Has that happened for you with the photography? Because totally. you're not charging for photos yeah you're just making great photos right like you're maybe you are i don't know but it's like no, i'm not charging shit yeah like you're just i'm not ever going to ask for you, money until you live an interesting life and you're just snapping photos as you go yeah right yeah how has that uh, affected your dancing having totally. a side pursuit it's totally deepened my confidence about flow and creativity spontaneity puring something drawing it from the source muse universe christ whatever you call it um so yeah, no, it's been a real testament to like, oh, I see, I see. I just, I just know I'm gonna find this and I'm not worried about when it comes. And we're just shooting these boring ass pictures, just so basic, just a girl like that, like that. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, take the, take the shoe and lick it. And now everything comes together. Oh, it's like shoe porn. She's like lusting over her shoe. Now all this beauty, the standard beauty stuff all of a sudden makes sense because it's thrown off by this like touch of perversion on her shoe, but it's elegant. It looks, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, I just I let it happen, and it's interesting. Uh, Tide Eyes was telling me in our uh, my show, um, so I have a show coming out called uh, Dancers Driving to the Studio, where I um, literally just drive with the greatest dancers around town. We go to a studio, have no plans, get there, and figure out what we want to do. Sometimes we dance, sometimes we talk more, sometimes we make up stupid dances. Uh, spend a whole day with Tide Eyes and fiction and all these other people, and just mind blown at how different it is that people arrived at their greatness. But one of the things that Tide Eyes was telling me about his approach to freestyle and his way to not get in his head and stifled he's like he's like i just know it's gonna come i'm just patient i just i, I know it's coming and i just let it go and then once i got good at photography i was like there it is there's all the connections same thing with uh, uh improv comedy you can't be pushing it just follow the rules uh who what where yes and add information and you won't know when the comedy comes did people just start laughing and you're going okay there has to be a sense of surrender yeah, and it can't be that ego control because the ego control is ego. E ego wants to say, I know the rules. These are the right rules and I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it because if I don't do it, then I'm going to die. And it's like, no, you get used to dying. Be ready for that. That's coming. <laughs> you don't got no control. Admit it and let the process happen and postulate that maybe life is a TV show that you can actually just sit back and watch with a fully immersive, self-motivated physical interaction as well. Fuck yes. Mm. That's amazing. <laughs> I really enjoy our conversations. Of course, I love our conversations. You're one of my most valued creative friends. Yeah, man. Uh, every time we talk, I feel like um, we're sharing things that we learned. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. even if it's been, you know, a couple months or a couple days, whatever, like, dude, let me tell you what happened. I had this breakthrough. And da, 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 Cause you know that you and I want nuggets to work with. Yeah. Um, what was a recent breakthrough you've had that you, that you find valuable? Uh, the most recent one I had, I was, um, my brother passed, um, and I used that as a chance to do what I've been meaning to do, which is have a full face off with anxiety. So I went to this lake house to be alone for three days to let anxiety kill me. Just no distractions, minimal food and say, okay, what happens if I let you completely just torture me? Cause usually if you surrender in anything, you transcend it, you get insights, you know, you face the fear, you know, right. and I do that all the time. I love facing fears. So I go to this lake house and for three days, anxiety just worked my ass out, <laughs> worked my, it was like, anxiety is like, you think I can't burn forever? I will burn you forever. I ain't, I ain't a stomach cramp. I will just keep hurting, bro. Uh, so I was like, okay, you win. Like I'm getting nowhere. And in all honesty, I feel like if I had stuck with it a little bit longer, it might've been nice to have a little psychological breakdown, but who approves of that for themselves? Right. Short of someone completely ready to, die right so my mind did not let me go there i started to go like whoa i really feel like i'm in a prison of the mind this is getting really terrifying now and even when i stuck with that i just couldn't get anywhere i couldn't get a resolution i couldn't get forward past it i was just like okay i hate this i hate this i hate this okay i hate this i'm gonna stick with it i hate this i hate this i feel like i'm in a prison of the mind i hate this I wasn't getting anywhere so I was like all right let's go counterintuitive let's go back to obsessing on dramatic thoughts and then i uh, came to uh, a person in my life that had disappointed me that was a really important person to me. And I was like, let's indulge in that. Here we go. Okay, let's indulge. Let's go for the most shameless. Like, what have I not thought about? I'm like, oh, it, uh, oh let's do pity party. I hate pity parties. Like, oh, I'm so sad. And something hit me. I was like, I'm so sad. I'm so sad. I was like, oh, my God. Like, if you had asked me if I was okay being sad, I would have said yes. But I didn't know my body was like, don't be sad. Right. Sad is unattractive. It's unproductive. I was like, I have to say it. Out. And I was like, I got to call this person because that person still had my back, even though we were at like not a great situation, but they still had my back. So right. I was like, hey, uh, I got to tell you some stuff. It's going to help me a lot, a lot. You, you down? Can you be here for me? And they're like, yeah, totally. I was like, I'm so sad. I'm so sad about those choices you made. I'm so sad. I'm so sad. And so I was like, oh, I've never shared sad with other people. Yeah. Um, I, it was just an unwritten rule that I couldn't do it. So that was missing from my connection to the world. And that was really relieving. But then I go down. So I'm like, okay, great. I got it. I got a lesson. Let's go back, hang out with the family some more. I go down to the water to look at the view for the last time. And all of a sudden I got anxious again, because I thought that was the fix. I got anxious again. I was like, wait, what am I anxious about now? And I was like, okay, get objective. Cause my head was real clear at that point. And I was like, I want to eat this view. I'm very sad that I can't eat the trees and the view and the lake all at once. And I was like, oh, wait, how profound is that? That's just duality. That's just the God part of me missing when I was all of this at once. And so I was like, oh, this is beautiful. It's just this transience, like this view will not last. But the masculine side of my divine intelligence wants to consume and dominate and control. So yes. I want to eat it. I want to I ingest it as opposed to the, the intelligent feminine that I need to come balance with that lets that go and just feels a sadness and just feels the beautiful sadness of this transient moment. And uh, later I was like, Oh, I get it. I'm sad. I can't eat this view and dominate it from my masculine, you know, drive. Yeah, yeah. Later that day, I'm walking through a park and I see a couple and they're not even like that, like, woo, they just, it's just a girl that could be cute to flirt with. And I got anxious again. I was like, wait, what am I, why am I sad? I was like, 
oh, I'm sad that I can't consume and dominate that beautiful feminine entity. I was like, okay, yeah, it's, and then I was just fine. I was like, great, that was really fun. Thank you, feminine, for giving me energy for just by being a feminine entity. What is it about when we really like something that we want to eat it? Like me and my girl did a salad where it's like, I just want to eat your cheeks. Like, it's like what you know, people say they want to see babies or puppies. They're like, oh, they're so cute. I just want to eat it. There's something about that that humans constantly have this feeling of when you really like something. You just mm -hmm. want to? Well, my, this one relationship that was like the closest I'd ever felt to somebody. And I kept saying, I like, I couldn't explain it. I was like, I want, I feel like it's wrong that we're not half melted into each other. <laughs> oh my God. And now that I'm saying it out loud, it makes perfect sense. I, from my point of view, the explanation for that is because we are here as the God, intelligence, divine Christ, whatever, fractalized paradoxically into all, all these millions of different viewpoints. And there's a little part of us deep down motivating the pleasure of this journey. That's like, oh, I miss it when I was like you at the same time. I miss it when I was all of this at once and I could just <sighs> feel all of it, but I can only I have a limited experience of that right now. And that's why I think my, the teacher that I resource the most now, then I got what he said. He said, anyone in my, he's finished or done or truth realized or not, non, untruth, un, unrealized or abiding non-dual awareness is how he describes it. But he said, Sounds um, confusing. yeah, unless you just take a second with the sentences, then okay. they're, they're, they're not as confusing. But he said, uh, anyone in my state would feel like, positive, curious, but with a not unpleasant tinge of sadness. And I was like, oh, I get that now. Now I get the not unpleasant tinge of sadness because you're, you're separated from yourself all around this thing. Or you do psychedelics or deep meditation and you get an undeniable recognition that you are everything. And then yeah. you come back to here because that's where you want to be. You want to be having the journey. Yeah. It, it, yeah. That makes me think of when I look at my dog, who's the first dog I've ever had. He's, you know, he's six years old now, and uh, I love him so much. And then I keep thinking about, like, wow, he's going to die in probably, like, ten years or so. I think about that, and I get a little bit sad about that, and then I get really happy that he's here. Mm, and I get mm, a little bit mm. sad about that and really happy he's mm -hmm, here. And mm -hmm. It's like one hits the other. I think in order for me to be extra happy that he's here, I have to remind myself about the sadness that he will be gone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know? It, yeah. It's almost like it, one helps the other. You know, or like when mm -hmm. I'm leaving and... Contrast. Yeah, the contrast. Yeah, we need that. It's a hard thing to dissect, like, but I don't see any way around it, except my really, like, like shockingly gorgeous, like, he's like, my, my brother-in-law is a, around my same, same age, but he, and he's this big, jacked, just naturally beautiful dude, and he's a mathematician. And then I'm this, I now realize, not bad looking guy. <laughs> who's like blonde and just kind of more like lean dancer guy. We're, yeah. it's such a, we're such a funny little pair. Anyway, I love conversations with him. think he's such a cool guy. But uh, I kind of explained to him my point of view on all this. And he goes, Rob, there's no objective reason for you to assume that love can't be experienced without pain. I was like, okay, on paper, that's absolutely right. I don't see where to go with that other than to just kind of exist in the powerlessness of ego. So I prefer where I'm operating from. Um, but... What's the point? I think, I think I was just saying like, oh yeah, it's hard to stomach, but I don't see any other way around it. In order to enjoy a hug from your child, it has to be an ever-present potential that that child will burn to death. And that's, most people are like, like, don't even say those words. And it's like, well, but maybe there's a profound power and ability and clarity and deeper love you can have if you get more in touch with truth as it really is. And that's what I'm toying with now. Not saying I know anything, I'm just saying I've yet to encounter something that holds better wisdom. Yeah, that hits.
Cool. Nice. I'm glad I'm articulating it well. Then. Yeah, yeah, you're articulating it very well. Okay, good. So, to wrap things up, because I feel like you and I should probably do many podcasts because I love our conversations. Yeah, I'm, I think we could do um, this for 10 hours. Pretty yeah. easy. <laughs> um, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, that, see, that one, I don't, I don't, I don't pretend. This dream pops. Think, well, think about it now. In the context of the, you know, normal life, how would you like to be remembered? Let's say, how would I like to be remembered for the rest of my life? Because I'm immediately going to go to the point where I think everything here blinks out of existence as long as once I'm gone. Okay, sure. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> All right, freak. Um, uh, uh, the world's favorite badass who had so many so delightfully shocking and thought-provoking gifts uh, to give the world that he didn't have enough time to give them all. Mm, I love that. That seems about right, actually. That, that, that's a pretty accurate description of how I, how I feel about you. Good, thanks. I don't think the world, I think my YouTube people see that, but like so many people that just know me from Step Up are like, well, that was good, but what is this weird stuff you're doing? I go get those comments sometimes mm -hmm. on Instagram, like, bro, what happened to you? You're a weirdo. I'm like, no, I was a weirdo. They hired me because I was a weirdo. You can shut up. Yeah. Um, and I guess uh, I usually end with this question, but you kind of already answered it. But let's see if you can whittle it down to a smaller phrase. But from your perspective, what is the meaning of life? Isness. That's it. Isness requires positive, negative, adventure, unpredictability, death, evolution, technology. It's just, it's just isness. God is ising. He's izzing all over your face. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. We could end there. Cool. Man, thank you so much for joining me, man. This was yeah. a really fun conversation. Cheers. I hope we get to do more. I know no. you'll be overseas, but, but dude, this was fucking We'll do a remote great. or something. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe I'll be back. Maybe our other business ventures will pop off and I'll be back. Who knows? Hopefully. Cool. Love you, bro. I love our conversations. Love you to I'm death. grateful for our friendship. Love you to death. We're going to hug after the camera's shut off. Just so you guys know. Hey. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, whoa, look, they can never keep me down, I'm going, and if I ever fail to snow, I'll go again, I never quit, cause I know that every loss may lead to another win, I'm going no, who the best in this thing, tell them, yeah, that's me, tell them, who bring the fire, say, yeah, that's me, who make it flip, make it bang,